0: Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father who is in heaven and to ask him for our daily bread. So let's go as a church and pray and present our needs to God right now. Pray with me if you would. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we we come before you bringing our needs. As a church, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Father, we pray for those in our surrounding community today. Father, who do not have enough. Father, as we go about our lives, we pray that you would give us compassion to see them and to help even the least of them. Father, we pray for those in our church who are struggling to make ends meet. Father, we pray that you would provide for them today. We pray that you would train their dependence to be fixed on your ability father we pray that the members of our church would be honest to share their needs with others to express the needs they have and that our church would care well for one another and in doing so that we would depend on you together father we ask that you would provide for the needs of our church We ask that you provide for our financial needs, that that our members would give generously, and that we would invest eternally. Father, provide, we pray. And even as we pray that, O God, we remember that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so we pray, O God, that we would grow as we depend on your word, Father, we pray for the Wednesday evening discipling class. As many of us get together and think carefully about how to invest spiritually in one another's lives, Father, we pray that we would mature as a church. Father, may it be a normal thing for our members to be pursuing one another, to be praying together, to be reading scripture together, to be to be reading good books together, to be helping one another grow in Christ. Father, it be a strange thing in our church that a member of our church would not actively invest themselves in others. Father, we know this is what your word calls us as Christians to do. I pray that you'd help us to be more faithful. Father, we pray also for other churches, not just our own. This morning, we think of Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. We're so thankful for them just down the road from us. Father, we pray for Pastor Andrew Coleman as he preaches this morning from Matthew 7. Father, we pray that the church members at Sheridan Hills would build their houses on the rock of Christ. We pray that that church would grow in depth and in breadth through the bread of your word. Father, we now, as a body, we we come before you as the crowds came to Christ, and and we know that your words are unlike anything else. And so we pray, teach us. Guide us. Teach us according to your word. Father, guide my words, that they may be tethered to your word. Work in us, O God. Work in us in this room. Mature our church, we pray. But for us, open our eyes to see your glory, even now in this service we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, how watching how a leader leads seems to capture most people's attention. Whether he's loved or hated, Donald Trump always makes headlines because people want to see what he's saying, how he's leading. Uh, or it's, it's not coincidental that Elon Musk, the richest person in the world, entrepreneur, CEO of several companies, is also the most followed person on Twitter. People are eager to hear what he has to say. Right behind him, President Barack Obama. Uh, interestingly, when Obama published his memoir, A couple of years ago of his time in the White House, it it quickly became a a New York Times bestseller. People wanted to see how he led. What went on behind the doors of the White House? People were willing to buy and read the memoir, despite it being 768 pages long. But this isn't anything new. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was one of the most popular presidents we've had. Uh, His autobiography was also quickly followed, along with his 47 other books that he wrote. You can check him out for yourself on Amazon. The complete works of Theodore is available to order, with all 4,545 pages. People wanted to hear from him. There's something about the place of authority that makes us want to observe how a leader leads. How does a leader use their authority? Well, it tells us something about who they are. It tells us about what they value. It tells us about what they want to accomplish. And today's passage, as we return back again this week to the book of Luke, gives us Another glimpse, similarly, into a a similar theme. How does Jesus Christ go about his ministry? How did Jesus lead? This this one that we've been seeing over, over recent weeks, the one who has all authority over the storm, over demons, over disease, over death, well, how did he use his authority We'll see some of this today in the text. If you haven't already, open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll be in verses 1 through 17, what Stephen just read for us. It, by the way, if you'd like to read in, ava- in advance, there is this sermon card that we just have in the back. You're able to grab one of these, just read the passage in advance of the Sunday sermon, or maybe afterwards reviewing it with someone else. It'll help you get more out of our times together if you're looking at the same passage I'm looking at all week, and then all I'm trying to do is tell you what this next passage in Luke is saying and apply it to our lives. So feel free to grab one of those. Today I'm I'm merely going to walk through this passage, explain what it means. Uh, if you're there in Luke 9, you can actually jump down to the middle of the passage. You see there's this Middle passage, paragraph that uh, is there speaking about Herod versus in verses seven through nine. Uh, Herod's the, the Roman governor, and he, he apparently starts hearing about Jesus Christ. And the idea of these verses is that Jesus' authority must be reckoned with. Uh, so, similar to where I started with uh, Obama making the New York Times bestseller list, uh, Jesus was getting people's attention. He's getting wide attention for what he's doing. So much so that news of him makes it all the way to the palace of this Roman governor. And Herod hears, he's perplexed, and he's left asking, Who is this? A question we're going to look at more next week. And he wants to see Jesus. How Jesus is working is is noticeable. Herod sought to see him. Let's look ourselves at what Jesus is doing to unpack the text, I'm going to just answer three, four questions. How did Jesus send? How does Jesus serve? How did Jesus provide? And how did Jesus reveal himself? My prayers that you might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught, seeing how Christ leads, that you'll worship him as he leads his people. So read with me verses one through six. We find there that he called the twelve together... as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Then jump down with me to verse 10. We see there, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So number one, how did Jesus send? We'll spend more time just on this first point today. Here we come to really the story of the the first short-term missions trip. You can see there in verse 1, he called the 12, he gave them power. Verse 2, he he sent them. Verse 6, they departed. Verse 10, they returned. So this is an apprenticeship of sorts for these men. Now, we'll see some principles that can apply to us here. But before we do, I, I just want to make sure we see the uniqueness of this in redemptive history. I mean, for example, the the timing of this, the commissioning, is is unique. This is before the cross, before the resurrection of Christ, before the establishment of the church. And so there are some unique commands and constraints that we're going to see put on these apostles. I mean, we we know this, even as we send out Vlad and Phoebe to Ukraine or send out Joe and Janie Martinez back to Peru, uh, we are hoping that they will certainly take with them a bag. And perhaps some money and some bread on their trip uh, 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 There's some uniqueness here Additionally, what's very important is what's, who is being sent is also unique Notice in verse 1, the 12 in verse 1 are then in verse 10 Clarified to be the apostles in verse 10 Many, of the, uh, disciples, many disciples followed Jesus Christ the twelve were those who were especially set apart by Christ. Uh, Ephesians two twelve twenty tells us about these apostles being the ones whom the church was first established upon, the, the foundation of the house of God. And so, you could also jot down Acts one twenty and twenty five, and that's where we learn that this apostleship was actually an office uh, of those who bore firsthand witness to christ they saw his resurrection no i'm just i'm just saying all this to just help us read our bibles well you see clearly in this passage we're not primarily first seeing a command for the specifics of how we are to go out this is firstly about how christ sent these first 12 apostles but i think we do see some underlying principles let me highlight just one how did Jesus send? Jesus sent with a call to dependency. Jesus sent with a call to dependency. This seems to be all over this first paragraph. Notice there in the first verse, verse 1. He gave them power and authority. Hey, if there's anything that we've learned about Jesus over the last several weeks, it's that Jesus has all power and authority over the storm and the demons and disease and death. It's him that has authority. And here, he gives it away to these 12 apostles. And so if you can just imagine in the United States, we have the State Department. And our State Department sends ambassadors to foreign countries to speak on behalf of our state. And those ambassadors have what we call plenipotentiary power. Which simply means that they have full power to take action on behalf of the government that they're sent from. That's why the role of an ambassador is so important in our world. Well, similarly here, Jesus gives his authority to these first apostles in this special way. And their, their authority, their, their, their power to work It comes only as they represent Jesus Christ. Uh, Similarly, I just can't help but think of our great commission, beloved. Think of the authority that Jesus used to send us. To go make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. Matthew 28, 19-20. Well, what are these apostles doing? Notably, they're healing and casting out Demons. They're doing the same miracles that Jesus has been doing. Now, honestly, I believe that this is a pattern we see in Scripture, especially when the gospel breaks into a new area. We see an increase of these miraculous signs. So, so we see it here. We see it in, in Pentecost. We see it on Paul's first missionary journey as the gospel breaks into Cyprus and Iconium and Lystra. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful, It's God miraculously working to establish the credibility of the gospel message As it goes into a new area I'm not I'm not saying that these miracles don't happen today I'm merely saying that we see it especially at these points in redemptive history Notice they're not just healing though. They were also like Jesus Preaching the kingdom of God Verse 2 You see Jesus' earthly ministry was not fundamentally to heal and do miracles, although he did many of them. Jesus tells us explicitly, Luke 4.43, that he was sent for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This was what his earthly ministry leading up to his death was about. It was the proclamation of his coming rule and reign to proclaim the kingdom. Now, the kingdom here you can understand is, is the good news Of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ That's how you can think about the kingdom When you read the kingdom in scripture You can think of this The rule and reign of Jesus Christ among his people And Christ has arrived And so this picture is This new king comes And messengers are sent out And they're going out To tell the surrounding areas That a new king is here Not not a king in visible, unignorable terms as an as earthly king, but a king who has an invisible, eternal kingdom that is starting now and will be brought to completion in the future. And this kingdom, these messengers are inviting others into to submit to Jesus Christ and his rule and reign. Friends, I wonder, who is king in your life? Is it Jesus Christ? If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, maybe you're just hearing more about what we're doing here at church and, and wondering and thinking about what we're teaching. You're, well, you're welcome. I'm so, I'm so glad you're here. You should know that we believe that Christ, when he came and died on the cross, he brought a kingdom with him. He set himself up as a new authority And that Christians believe we must submit In all things to the authority of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ came He lived this life that we could never live A perfect life He died on the cross He rose again And he showed how he was a more powerful ruler Than any other ruler He was victorious over life and death itself Over sin itself I'd invite you to, to think more about this. We call this the good news of the gospel. I wonder if you would want to submit yourself to him today. Well, I wonder if you can imagine this scene that we're reading about. These apostles, they're, they're going out and they're going into villages and they're telling people that God's kingdom is here now. Maybe, maybe it just sounded a little bit like Philip like w- who, when he went and found Nathanael. In John 1 45 and he he goes off and he finds his friend and he says we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph You see these apostles they could attest to they could speak to Jesus's good authority They could say he's he's a good master It would be good for you to come follow him and put yourself under him And then, can you just imagine it? When people questioned this message that they're they're saying, these messengers could start offering to heal the diseases of the village or meet a a demon-possessed person and cast out the demon in this same authority. And verse 6 tells us they did this everywhere. Friends, we have a, a similar beautiful task we are to tell others of the goodness of our new master we were to go out and and invite others into our, his kingdom into the kingdom of the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives now these disciples they were called to preach and while they healed and cast out demons for us we've seen Christ be risen and that is now central to how this kingdom unfolds, rehearsing what Christ has done on the cross, rising again. And we're to also give credibility to this kingdom. I think the New Testament teaches that the credibility that we are primarily to look towards is the credibility of the local church. I I think this is the point of Ephesians 2 and 3, that the purpose of the church is to, to act like a ring. If you can imagine a ring with a diamond on it. And the prongs on the ring hold firm the diamond, and they display it for the world to see. Imagine that diamond is the gospel message, the the beautiful message of what Christ has done. Well, the church acts like the prongs that are holding fast the gospel and displaying the gospel in its community to the watching world. Church, your community your relationship with one another as we together live as the body of christ it is to be a compelling community it is to offer credibility that this kingdom works that the message is good and that it changes us and it creates this this new people and we do this as we live with each other so, we'll turn to the passage. Just briefly look through verses three and four with me. In verse three, we see this call to dependency in, in what the disciples are, the apostles are to take for this assignment. They're, they're to travel light, they're not to take much with them. They're, they're not to be like the philosophers of their day, the, the traveling peddlers who would take a bag and, and collect money for their own good. In verse four, we see that they are dependent to be dependent even in where they stayed. They were to trust in the hospitality and of those who were wanting to hear about Christ, about the Messiah. This also was, by the way, in contrast to the, the philosophers of the day who would go from house to house collecting more money each night, each place they stayed. And then down in verse 5, even in their rejection, they were to point back to Christ. Verse 5 says, Whatever, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So when people rejected this message of Christ's rule, they were to move on. They were to shake off the dust off their feet. Interestingly, the background of this was probably Israelites who were returning from a pagan land. They were known to, when they, when they crossed the border into Israel... They would actually shake off the dust of the pagan land behind them. To, to not bring it with them into the land of God's people, into Israel. They were to, to leave that behind. And so here, in a similar way, when the people reject this coming of Christ, the disciples were to leave them behind. To reject Christ was serious business. Church, this is how it has always been. If you reject Jesus Christ and his lordship in your life, this is serious business. Not listening to to Christ and his message is a bit like like giving God the cold shoulder. I mean, you can just imagine uh, meeting a, a president and just imagine refusing to give him a handshake. Or perhaps you travel to London and for some odd reason you meet King Charles. And instead of greeting him, you, you turn your back on him. You, you reject acknowledging his authority. Well, much worse, my friends, to not listen to the news of God's coming reign. It's, it's so much worse. It's, it's like putting your fingers in your ears when God is talking. We are called to accept Christ's lordship in our lives, his rule and reign. Are you doing that today? Well, the apostles re- returned down to verse 10. They told all that they had done. Interestingly, the, the report Luke shares is short. The emphasis seems to be less on what they accomplished and more of who they were sent by and how they were sent by Christ. And Let me move on to a second point here. Number two, how did Jesus serve? I'll be brief with this point. Jesus pulls the apostles away having come back and he goes off to Bethsaida. Uh, Mark tells us explicitly it's for rest after their work. And, And verse 11 gives us just this fascinating glimpse of Jesus stepping back to rest. And look what happens in verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cure those who have need of healing. The the picture here is that when trying to step away, Jesus doesn't respond to the persistence of the crowd with complaining. Jesus here, he serves with this untiring love for the people. He, he, He isn't reluctant to Care for the crowds. He doesn't mumble something about his boundaries being crossed. He doesn't send the crowds away. No, he welcomes them and does more of the same of what the apostles had been doing healing their needs and, and proclaiming the kingdom. The picture is that Jesus is the better apostle, he's the greater apostle. Is not like those other sent out ones who will get tired eventually. Oh no, Jesus continues ministering and welcoming in the people. Church, let me just encourage you on this point pray for your elders as we minister in this church. Pray that, that we, uh, yes, we will wear out. We're not Christ, we're human. Uh, But we want to be pastors who have a a long patience and a, a deep compassion, even when the day is long. Pray for us to be this way. Oh, but even more, church, remember your chief shepherd. Jesus doesn't wear out like his servants. Jesus doesn't tire of you coming to him. He is eager to hear and meet your needs. And so go to him regularly. Go to him without hesitation. Jesus serves with tireless love. A third question, how, does, how did Jesus provide? How did Jesus provide? So if Jesus is to be this sending king, sending his apostles out, and if they are to depend on them as they go, and if Jesus is to meet the needs of those who keep coming to him, then he needs to be able to provide for his people. Imagine the the State Department. They're sending their ambassadors out, and imagine them not having enough funds to to cover their trip, to cover their work. How embarrassing would that be? Well, this would be a a picture of what's happening here. We see the question seems to be on Luke's mind here. Let me show you just how much this king can provide for his kingdom. Look at what we see next in verse 12. You know the story. Listen again to it afresh. The, the day began to wear away. The twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside and find, to find lodgings and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. The disciples wanted to, to send the crowd away. Verse 13, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. Uh, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. and was left... And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So here's a familiar but really profound miracle. Jesus feeds a multitude. You've heard this story before. It's it's one of the only uh, miracles that's repeated in all four Gospels. The implicit question of the text is, as Jesus is asking for trust from his disciples, can he provide for them? He says, go out and take nothing with you. Don't worry. Don't even take bread with you, verse 3. And Jesus provides. Imagine how this just unfolds. So the the scene is that the day is wearing away, similarly to the disciples. They're they're wearing away. And the disciples come to him, suggest him to send these people away. Jesus gives this strange command. You give them something to eat. I wonder if you could just imagine what that must have felt like. I mean, there's, there's 5,000 men plus women and children Standing in front of Jesus and the disciples And Jesus turns to them And commands his disciples To give something to the crowd to eat uh, Imagine their the response What do you What, uh, what do you mean, Lord? I, I think two things are happening here Number one, I think he's drawing them out to point out that they are insufficient. I think he's just kind of putting a a point, a a, a sharp edge on his point to say, you can't do what I'm about to do. Showing them. But there's a second reason I think he says that. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So notice first, they do bring their five loaves and two fish. Jesus seats everyone in groups of 50. There's about 5,000 men. And then we see this scene where in the center of them is their Jesus. And there he is lifting up this food and he's looking to heaven and is blessing it. He's showing the disciples dependency firsthand. He's showing them how to look to God to provide. What a, what a parable. What a parable for us. I, I don't know about you, but I so often do what the disciples first did. Look around to see how I can figure this out. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, we start by looking heavenward. We, we ask God for help in provision. So then he breaks the, the loaves. He miraculously, the text doesn't tell us how it happened. Was it as he was breaking it in different baskets? Was it that they kept taking off a basket and there'd just be more under it? But miraculously, he gives it to the disciples and the disciples find it multiplying to feed all 5,000. And and here's just the the beautiful irony of, of this story. You see, he had just told these disciples to give the crowd something to eat. And now the disciples are doing what he said. They're giving the crowd something to eat, just with a little help. Augustine rightly prayed, Give us, give what you command, O Lord, and then command whatever you will. God here provides what is needed for the disciples to obey the command. That's the picture we're seeing. You give them something to eat. In order to obey that command, You need me. And God gives it to them. Church, you might not have everything that you want. And you might not have everything you think you need in life. Oh, but I promise you, you will always have what you need to obey God. His commands never come without the provision to obey them. Scripture teaches this clearly to us. He provides for what we need to obey Him. Look to Him in faith. The passage ends in verse 17. The crowds having eaten were satisfied. I, I love that word. They're satisfied. They're filled up. It's, it's such a living illustration for how Christ will provide. How there's no, this isn't a halfway miracle. This isn't, they just shared enough of their own things and it worked out. And they were not angry. No, no, They were satisfied. Their their stomachs were full at this point. And they had 12 basketfuls left over. The 12 apostles had 12 basketfuls left over. It's almost like Jesus is saying here, each of you just take an entire basket back with you so this will be etched in your memory just how much I provide. Jesus provides. We should conclude. Let me end with a final question. How did Jesus reveal himself? How did Jesus reveal himself? You see, Luke here is showing us a picture that, that goes beyond mere provision. After all, Luke 1 tells us that this whole book was written so that we could have certainty in the things that we have been taught about Christ. The things, Luke 1-2, that have been fulfilled among us, that have been accomplished among us, and so, as we end, notice what's being fulfilled here, and worship with me as you do. look back up in the passage to verse seven and eight. you remember that that section where Herod was there? He was perplexed uh, verse verse seven. he was perplexed, and he was hearing verse eight that some said Elijah had appeared and and Some said that John had been raised from the dead, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Now, why would Luke put those details in the middle of this story? What is happening here? Friends, Luke wants us to notice, to see clearly the greatness of who Jesus is revealing himself to be. First of all, Jesus is the greater John the Baptist. Think about it, John had gone off into the wilderness, sent out as a messenger, proclaiming the kingdom with nothing on him, declaring coming judgment of those who would reject the coming king. Does that sound familiar right now? Christ's ministry is so much greater. Jesus now is sending out 12 apostles, proclaiming the kingdom with nothing on them, Declaring a coming judgment for those who will reject this coming king. And so, Herod, you've seen this before. Instead of one man preaching, this rabbi is now sending out groups of people, going everywhere with this message of the kingdom. Herod also hears that this could be a prophet of old. And here we see that Jesus is the greater prophet of old. I mean, think of perhaps just one great prophet, Moses. Think of how Moses leads a crowd of people out into the wilderness, and they too become hungry, and they too need something to eat, and they too find a miraculous provision of manna that is a satisfying bread to them. And here we see Jesus is doing the same. Here we see that Jesus is a a greater Moses of sorts. He is providing this satisfying bread. And as we heard earlier from John, he himself is the satisfying bread from heaven. Herod doesn't realize how true these reports actually were. Or consider how Herod heard that Elijah had appeared. And this, this, is just, this just blew me away this week when I discovered this in the text. Turn, turn back with me to the time of Elisha, who was uh, the disciple of Elijah. If you have brought your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. It, we, I'm just going to read an excerpt from 2 Kings from the ministry of the prophet Elijah. Elisha, and and we're going to see just one brief, almost passing miracle that Elisha performed. And and as I read this passage, just listen and see what you notice. 2 Kings 4 42. A man came from Baal Shalelisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits. 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate And had some left according to the words of the Lord. (sighs) Did did you see it? Did you see the shadow? The reflection? I mean, bread is presented to the prophet. The the prophet orders for the people to be fed. The the prophet's followers say that they can't feed this many. And then the, the prophet orders again to feed them, and the bread is then distributed. By the disciple of the prophet. And then the men ate. And they had leftovers. Friends, I can't make this stuff up. This was recorded about six centuries before Jesus even did this miracle. And in parallel, it's crystal clear. The point, the point of why God would sovereignly arrange history... To have this story in history match what he will do through his son with with such precision. Friends, the point is not just that you will have rock-solid, bedrock certainty in God's word. Oh, you should. Oh, you should. But it's not just for that. The point is so that we can focus our gaze with with worship and and with with confidence and with wonder on the greater prophet who has come. Elisha takes 20 loaves and feeds 100 people. And Jesus takes five loaves and he feeds 5,000 people. Oh, church, behold this Christ today. See this one. This one who has accomplished all things. This one who all things find their completion in him. This greater prophet of old. See him. See the one that sends us out with his authority. See the one that that turns heads of earthly kings, leaving them saying, who is this? See the one that that tirelessly welcomes us back. See the one that has all ability to provide beyond what we could ask or imagine. See him and worship him today. His kingdom has come. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you for the work of Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you for how easily, effortlessly he provides for his mission and for his people. Father, we praise you for how Christ is the fulfillment of what we have been waiting for. And Father, I pray that you would give us faith to look to Christ this week. May we rest in Christ today. We pray this in the name of Jesus.